This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 9th, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. According to Matt Welch, the new editor of Reason Magazine, the difference between the approaches to political philosophy of Barry Goldwater and John McCain is that Goldwater had one. As Welch explains in his book, John McCain, The Myth of a Maverick, McCain is a pragmatic politician who embraces America's greatness and wants to remove those obstacles that keep the rest of the world from fully embracing America's greatness. We spoke following his book forum yesterday. You wrote a little over a year ago uh, that McCain wants to restore your faith in U.S. government by any means necessary, even if that requires thousands of more military deaths, national service for civilians, and federal micromanaging of innumerable private transactions. He'll kick down the doors of boardroom and bedroom, mixing Democrats' nanny state regulations with the GOP's red meat paternalism in a dangerous brew of government activism. you talk about that a little bit? That's pretty strong stuff there. Uh, <laughs> I blame my editor. Uh no, I, uh, this is the John McCain that people would know if they actually looked at his governing record and especially his voluminous on-the-record comments, both in his books, uh, in his speeches, and in his uh, legislation. Um, he has consistently uh, found things that he sees as obstacles to America's faith in itself, uh, which that is the one thing that he's trying to eradicates slash restore. He wants us to all feel the strong faith in the righteousness, this higher power of of, uh, of American exceptionalism. Uh, and so on any given day, he might th- uh, perceive another threat to that. So in 1999 and 2000, it was money was corrupting politics. So this is the transcendent issue of our time. What can we do about it? And so he used uh, pretty astonishingly strong uh, government powers that many have argued, uh, including myself, uh, are sort of blatantly unconstitutional, impringing on uh, in, uh, on Americans' freedom of speech in order to solve this problem. Um, you know, uh, he would use the same thing if he could, and, and thankfully so far he can't, on to eradicate steroids in baseball, which uh, another thing he's identified as a transcendent issue because little kids don't have faith anymore in the performance of their hero star athletes and so he thinks maybe we should have mandatory high school testing um these are incredibly invasive ideas um in addition to that he has an overall sort of militaristic viewpoint of citizenship uh he says if you uh private gain and the private pursuit of happiness uh you can only have a half life if you do that in order to have a, a fully profound life as an American, you have to sacrifice yourself for the greater good of American exceptionalism. And so what that means in practice is that we're going to have to greatly expand uh, our military, um, greatly expand uh, national service uh, among civilians, and uh, and have a, a greater sense of patriotic, even enforced patriotic duty. None of this is consistent, in my view, with limited government. John McCain is a principled opponent of pork barrel spending. He'd shut down Guantanamo Bay uh, if he could. He's one of a few Republican candidates who will define what constitutes torture, and he'll speak unequivocally against that. What I suspect is his actual position when it comes to immigration is uh, far more 
uh, respectful and appreciative of immigrants than uh, the one that he's touted most recently, especially uh, in Iowa, he would seem to have so much to offer as a candidate for libertarians. Why has this examination of this other side of him not really taken place? If John McCain is on your side on an issue, you're going to love John McCain. Um, regardless of whatever the issue is, his answer to it in most cases are, is going to be to use the government to stamp out the thing that you don't like. So even in the case of cutting pork barrel spending, which he has uh, one of the greatest rhetorical records, at least in the, in the Senate, he gives a speech almost every year denouncing the pork and the defense bill. Um, as president, in order his solution for it is to have a greatly expanded executive powers in the form of a line item veto, um, the original uh, form that he proposed in the 90s. Uh, large parts were ruled unconstitutional for reasons of separation of power. He uh, is a firm believer that the executive uh, needs more power than it has even now. Um, he, one of his great fondnesses for Teddy Roosevelt is that he restored the proper you know, balance of power between the executive and the legislative. Um, it's interesting that you said you, know, you suspect that his heart is in a certain place in immigration. This is a great thing with John McCain. He's able to hold positions back positions, change positions on issues that people hold dear, but he telegraphs, or maybe we sort of wish cast on him. Yeah, he says this, but his heart is really in the right place. He benefits from that more than just about any American politician. His view right now is that the DREAM Act, for instance, uh, uh, which he co-sponsored, if I'm not mistaken, he's opposing it. I think he went up for a vote and he voted against it because he's changed his view on immigration under political pressure. Um, so, if he's if he has your issue, and Guantanamo is one that I fervently believe in, that he's on the side of the angels with, it's all great. The problem is he doesn't have a personal sense that the expenditure of government power in and of itself is a bad thing. He actually thinks it's a great thing. It's the way to which we can restore our faith in the higher institutions of American government. You've said that McCain is very self-revealing. Well, he vets himself in a way that few other politicians do, at least cer certainly not publicly. But you've also said that he's realized that there are some practical benefits to this type of exposure of being so overexposed. Explain that. Sure. Um, you know, if uh, the first thing that comes out of someone's mouth is, I'm a bad person, <laughs> you want to, and I'm a bad person for this explicit reason, you want to give them the benefit of the doubt for their own candor. Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, in his book, Worth the Fighting For, he talks about an episode in South Carolina in 2000 where he uh, had initially condemned the Confederate flag that was flying over the uh, Capitol Dome there in the state um, as just an, uh, an ugly sign of racism. But then uh, there's an enormous backlash and an election to win. And so he, his handlers basically told him, you got to change your position right now. And so he would elaborately pull out this crumpled piece of paper and read a prepared statement like a hostage um, that uh, I believe in states' rights and federalism. But he did it. He telegraphed this in a way, and he admitted this in his book, so that people thought his heart was in the right side. Uh, why is that interesting? One reason is that the reaction to him even confessing this thing, which he does at the end of his book worth fighting for, is perceived not as sort of an embarrassing uh can you believe that he would say and do anything to get elected? But he was praised for his honesty once again. So he wins no matter what. He's changed his position. He uh, did it dishonestly with the intention to make it look dishonest. and then But he revealed it again, and so he's rewarded. You have a, a person who is 
every day in every newspaper at some degree is being rewarded as a straight talker who has changed his position as much as any politician not named Mitt Romney on uh, various things. But he continues to get rewarded as a straight talker, even in, in the same sentence that reveals how he's changed his positions, mostly because people give him the benefit of the doubt where his heart is. And the preemptive uh, admissions of these things are a great way to do that, because once you've already confessed your sin, people aren't going to re-examine them, because they say, hey, look, you've confessed it, so we can go on to the next topic. It's uh, strategically brilliant. When he uses the phrase, the senator from Arizona, when he wrote a, a piece about Barry Goldwater after his death, he sort of admitted, I know that this is only going to refer to Barry Goldwater. It's not going to refer to me. He's going to have a whole chapter where the rest of us will be have to be content with footnotes. How does he compare himself to Barry Goldwater, and why does Goldwater's sort of principled uh, federalism not seem to carry over to this senator from Arizona. Uh, first, it's it, that was an interesting uh, way that he put it in that piece, I believe it was for the Washington Post, um, where you could see him sort of wishing that people will say the senator from Arizona is John McCain, but he knows it's not going to happen. But it, within that, uh, there's a tell. Uh, he has similar tells throughout his books, uh, like in um, Character is Destiny or one of these books. He has a chapter on Teddy Roosevelt, who he's been compared to explicitly, um, where he just keeps repeating, there will be no Teddy Rose, no other Teddy Roosevelt. There will never be another one like him. He's saying it so much that you can feel his pain in actually trying everything he can to be the next one. Um, but anyways, his relationship with Goldwater is is interesting. It was strained. Um, uh, he sought approval from Goldwater that he never felt like he got. What I find interesting about it, beyond just the whatever psychology of it, is that he didn't understand himself why Goldwater wouldn't like him or why Goldwater would feel at least cool towards him. Uh, remember, uh, Goldwater you know, was born in Arizona in like 1720. He's been there since longer, long since before Arizona was even a state. He turned it from a Democrat state to Republican state. Uh, he is just, he's, he's soaked in Arizona dust. John McCain established his residency in Arizona on the day that he knew the congressman from that district was going to resign. Um, he is a carpetbagger in every sense of the word, um, for understandable reasons given his background, but that's how he came to Arizona. So that's one, and that's a that's a non-insubstantial difference and a reason why Goldwater resented him. But the other one is about their approaches to political philosophy. Goldwater had one. McCain doesn't really have a a self-elucidated political philosophy. He sees a problem, he attacks the problem using the federal government in most cases. But he doesn't himself express any interest in the philosophy of limited government or a philosophy of any sort at all. He's a problem solver. So he doesn't understand how his positions uh, on a variety of topics, uh, including uh, gays in the military, where Goldwater broke with them very strongly in 1993-94, um, would irritate someone who has a, a very strongly elucidated philosophy of live it, let live, limited government, and federalism. Uh, McCain doesn't recognize many, if any, real uh, limits on federal power. He's a national greatness conservative, and that philosophy, as espoused by him and the, the people who put those words in his mouth, um, they want to re to rejuvenate the the institutions of American governance. There's not a lot about states' rights in that. He only brings up states' rights uh, when cornered, when it's when it's a sort of a, a a way out of a political problem. But it's interesting that he doesn't have the sense of self-reflection why 
obviously Goldwater would not feel a normal, warm uh, appreciation for him. And his books are filled with this sort of pained longing that, uh, that Barry accepts him. And um, he ends up blaming it all on uh, basically Barry's secretary and his, uh, and his last wife. Matt Welch is the new editor of Reason Magazine and author of the book John McCain, The Myth of a Maverick. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Cato Weekly Video, a 10-minute segment of Cato events and speeches on various topics. You can subscribe at our website, cato.org.